Welcome to Can I Still You for a sec? sec? To talk about critical theory. <laughs> Here we are. I'm glad I listened to a podcast that wasn't ours about this episode because I also like went into a black hole watching it <laughs> and I like forgot everything. It was I mean I've as as per usual, I have lots of feelings, but this was actually they did some things different in this episode, like the way they framed it. You could say they queered it a little bit. Ooh, um, which is a good way to introduce. We're talking about queer theory today. Um, Yeah, I have a lot of feelings about this episode attached to queer theory, actually. And then also just, like, generally about what's going on. Yeah. So, as we usually say, queer theory is such a huge um, thing, monolith of academic work that we're only going to scratch the surface. And, I mean, that just goes without saying. And I think queer theory, I just wanted to, I was thinking about this, and I really see it as um, kind of different paths into inquiry academically, because queer can mean kind of the umbrella term for LGBTQ ally questioning, um, but then there's also uh, where you would go to queer theory, which is actually a way, a framework, and a way of looking at the world or looking at materials or texts. So yeah, no, I think that's a really good um, like differ- differentiation of like the flexibility of queer theory. That queer theory is um, you can be talking about like conditions like sexuality and like gender um, and like those social conditions, but the ability to like queer a text or to like queer history or like to engage in like talk about queer temporalities is like a broader critique of like heteronormativity and like compulsory heterosexuality which we'll get into into like a critique of I think it's almost you know attached like Marxism in some ways I think that like queer theory has some overlaps with um with like Marxist theories and then also like feminist theory like it's very consumerism yeah it's like a very dynamic body of um body of thought it is and it is way more than who one has sex with who one lives with who one falls in love with although that is a big part and I and I feel like and I said this in class the other night and I don't know if it just didn't go over well that I feel like you can't talk about queerness without talking about pleasure and desire. And I think that is left out of the conversation a lot. Like it just, it, I think this happens in an academic setting. You just start talking and you forget that you're talking about humans or you're talking about Mm -hmm. people's inner lives, that it is tied to that. But queer identity and queer theory is not just about who you have sex with. Yeah, well, I think, like, like you're saying, like, these logics of, like, pleasure and desire, like, dovetail a lot to, like, consumer society and, like, consumption and, like, production and, like, how are, who gets to experience desire and pleasure and, like, how does, um, I don't know, class come into this? I think that there's, I don't know, queer theory is really cool. There's just, like, a lot that you can do with it, like, in forms of a substantive critical critique, but um, the desire and pleasure, I do agree should be centered within our discussions. And it's something that, it's almost like the gift that keeps on giving because there's always ways to talk about it. Like, there's never an end of, okay, there's all the research that needs to be done. Yeah. So, 
now that we've like talked <laughs> about it. <laughs> so what? So what is queer theory? Do you want to like? I feel like you're more familiar with like some of the the origins. Right. Yeah, we can wanna. talk. We can talk origins and something I've been thinking about. We've been talking about is a lot of people say there's been queerness throughout the history of humanity. And I wouldn't disagree with that, but I but the idea of queer and especially gay, heterosexual and homosexual, binary is a fairly new concept as mm-hmm. far as the, the words that are used and the concept and the way people define themselves. And I'm not denying people the history of that, but that is a very um, night. 19th century, early 19th, late, late, eight, late 19th century, <laughs> early 20th century. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Now I just picked you. <laughs> you almost fell down. Well, I almost <laughs> fell down. I was so excited to talk about it. Well, like, yeah. And that's like with Foucault, like, yeah. um, why can't, like, what is it called? History of sexuality? Is that, that is, is that right? That is. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like that text looks at how, like sexuality itself um and like sexual identity is kind of tied to like um like modernity like and subjectivity like in a lot of interesting ways so like when we think about like queerness and like sexuality historically we also need to consider how our um contemporary understandings of these like categories um and these experiences are are socially constructed and have been different across time so as you can probably guess Queerness, and I say homosexuality because this is the term that's used in the literature, has been pathologized and medicalized. And it was seen as a uh, somebody who is othered, somebody who is sick, somebody who has a disorder, somebody who um, needs to be fixed. So we talked about, it's sort of analogous to the medical model and social model that we talked about last time. So... Uh, doctors diagnosed what they would call inverts, which uh, is means that the person your act the way you're acting is not matching your outward gender, which sounds very similar to the conversation now we're having about transgender populations or individuals, but it's actually not. They actually thought yeah. that that was that needed to be corrected. You had the wrong the wrong thoughts, the wrong uh, desires. And there was a lot of theories about, is it bad parenting? Is it um, who you hang out with, who you grow up with, if you grew up poor? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of um, ways that they wanted to fix people and, and make I, them normal. And I would also say, like, even, like, this is, like, a footnote to, like, before the medical model. Like, before, like, you couldn't be homosexual necessarily because there was no such thing as an invert like anyone could engage in um like same-sex contact it was a behavior that was categorized as um as sinful as corrupt and so it wasn't necessarily that you were a lesbian or you were homosexual if you engaged in these behaviors it was that you were engaging in illicit sexual contact but like the medical model like brings us to like this idea of the invert as like yeah identity and so actually freud who has not i wouldn't say is a champion (laughs) of queer theory actually moved it into a new direction when um in his in his work it was less about something that you did that was medically wrong but who you are as a person so your sexuality orientation what have you is actually part of your identity now he didn't exactly condone it 
but he kind of introduced that idea. So that's why Freud is included in in queer theory. Um, but Freud's, all, we're going to talk about psychoanalysis in a future episode. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I think for that's and like Freud comes up with, like you said, this idea of like object desire, that yeah. it's, it's not, um, if you're an invert, it's not just that like you're a woman who's bossy and has like, like sexual contact with other women. It's that, um, it's that that sexual contact with other women, for example, is your object desire is yeah. what's important and not that you're displaying traits that are not typically coded as, as feminine or typically mm-hmm. coded as masculine. Yeah. And being this was only a hundred years ago, I mean, this is, I mean, we're just, the history of this is just like a little blip. And I mean, that's encouraging because we're, we're only going to move forward. But if you think about, um, if you looked at a map of history, we're only now coming to terms with this. So I want to talk about a book um, called Gay New York um, by Chauncey, and I forgot his last name. I should have looked it up. I can Google it. Listen, everybody, grad school's tiring. We're a little bit tired, it's but a, it just means because we're working hard. That's true. I'm finding it. Okay. It is George. George Chauncey wrote a book, a very good book, a very detailed book called Gay New York about the history of queerness and gayness in New York. Now, also a warning to say that it is only about New York, and that's a very specific area with a very specific um, accessibility to people, but I really, I actually like the way that by focusing on this, creating these um, geographic boundaries, there actually is a way to really focus on it. And his, I want to talk about three things that he talks about three myths that we think of today the myth of invisibility there's a myth that gay men and gay women were in hiding until the 1980s 1990s that they couldn't be themselves so that's a myth because there were very active and visible gay communities in new york in the 1910s 1920s and so on there's the myth of internalization which is a myth that people who are gay internalize uh, the homophobia and they are ashamed or they think there's something wrong with them. And there isn't. There is. That does happen. But there's a myth that every person felt that way. And in fact, there was a lot of, um, again, in these subcultures, people who were living their life and felt supported. And the myth of isolation that gay people, um, there were not a lot of out people and the myth that they were kind of on their own, kind of in their own island and that that may have happened in rural areas and it still happens now, but in cities and especially in New York that there were these very thriving communities. So I think I really like um, what he was talking about because I think it challenges what we think about linear time and how Yes, I don't want to deny the history, a very violent history of homophobia, but I also think it does it a disservice to just focus on that and just assume that somebody's a victim. So I really liked the way um, his study went about, and he also talked about how, I mean, it wasn't all harmony, but um, but sexuality um, grew in a multicultural area, especially in New York, so... Um, black gay men, black gay women um, were very part, much part of the movement. And again, not like everybody was holding hands, but it was also something that people don't think. And I think this, the segregation of queerness now uh, by race, I think is a more modern concept, in my opinion, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think going off of what you said about um, like disrupting like our histories and our like notions yeah. of like um, like time connects to um, Halberstam's work called In a Queer Time and Place, which is something that I really enjoyed reading and like kind of brings these like these themes of like of community and like multicultural space and like time to like the current moment um and halberstam writes about um did i say the title i forget queer time and space yes queer time and i and i just want to add um that this book was written as judith halberstam but Mm -hmm. i think that they um are fluid and um at different points identified differently so yeah by jack yeah by jack now Mm -hmm. so well in this in in this instance we're going to use they pronouns um Mm -hmm. just to make that clear and that's the space we're in now and if people have other thoughts about that please let us know or know know. a little bit more about jay halberstram yeah and their books are now like all on my never-ending book list because i loved um in queer time and space yeah it's like amazing yeah um like what was i'm most interested in like their notion of um middle class or bourgeois reproductive logics of temporality and so this is kind of getting to what we were talking about that um it's not just a critique of like heteronormativity um, and of like compulsory sexuality, but like queer theory allows us to have a critique of capitalism and of even history itself. Um, and Halberstam writes that, um, quote, queer uses of time and space develop, at least in part, um, in opposition to the institutions of family, heterosexuality, and production. And in this book, the queer way of life will encompass subcultural practices, alternative methods of alliance, forms of transgender embodiment, and those forms of representation dedicated to capturing these willfully eccentric modes of being. So that's a really, like, a powerful indictment Mm -hmm. of the way in which, um, like, modern capitalism literally reproduces... um, patriarchy, heteronormativity, and also, like, capitalist structures because we imagine our lives going through childhood, young adulthood, marriage between a man and a woman, the production of children, um... Work. Work. Professionalism. And and then we die, and that queering that allows us to see the ways in which we can live outside of those logics in ways that are not productive or, um, you know, marital. And so, in that way, um queerness is like is a broader spectrum it's not necessarily just about sexuality but halberstam also writes about um the homeless drug addicts for example in their book being examples of like queer populations who live outside um reproductive logics yeah and in the book they feature they talk about some transgender individuals including brandon tina and talks about how so using using transgender people as this model that there's a before right so you've lived as one gender and then at some point you are living in between genders and then maybe have another chosen gender so temporal temporality where do you where do you place your your life events you know what i mean like if maybe you were married with children and then transitioned and you kind of have started a new timeline of your life so it's how we talk about that and getting married for for queer people is not always an option um even though it's legal i know that some queer people still reject it because it still is part of that institution even though they are allowed and you know children um is not in the cards for some people or choose not to i mean again 
medically we have surrogates and ways that this happens but that's also if we're talking about marxism it's also very expensive Mm -hmm. and for an upper class and we forget the working we kind of forget the working class and you know how class intersects with that so just thinking about the way we look at time we look at people's lives when you write a biography or an autobiography it's like i was born and then going through the motions yeah i think that like um, Halberstam forces us to like disembed ourselves from these, from these like, like reproductive temporal logics because suddenly, if we're you know looking at experiences of of like the self that fall outside of these like linear progressive um, like formulas, then we need to rethink our relationship to time and to narrative um, and also like to archive, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. Looking at like the body is an archive as well. So I think this work, I really, really love this book. Um, and I would like really recommend it. If yeah. like, if you're thinking about like queer theory, but also if you're just thinking about um, the relationship between like body, desire, production and capitalism, like there's so much here. Um, In a really accessible way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm all for books that are academic that kind of bridge that gap because some of the st- and some of the stuff in queer theory can be a real like reading it could be a mind fuck you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I and I don't think it needs to be that way I think if we were to queer academia it would be having different ways of learning and different modes of transmitting that information yeah which leads me to you know we use queer as a as a verb to queer something what what do you think it means i just i know what it means i just want to make sure you know what it means yeah. no really i'm still i mean i'm still learning so yeah. i'm just curious what you think of that no i think like as a methodology like to yeah. queer the text um like to queer the bachelor like bachelors are text which is kind of what we're doing like we're employing queering as a methodology on this episode to look at how um how, like, the relationships that are represented and the images we see um, show contradictions and cracks in in these bourgeois, like, reproductive logics or how, yeah. conversely, they, like, reify them. So I think to queer is to, is to take into question and to destabilize and deconstruct some of our most, like, essential categories like the self or love or you know like power it's like queering is about destabilization and, and deconstruction is a place of um like lib like liberation or like creativity which can be scary because then it's like well what is anything you know i don't know yeah it can be scary it's as a methodology living, i think it's living in a space where it's there's constant answers and constant possibilities yeah and for me, I think of it as really resisting any sort of binary. And I'm not just mm-hmm. talking about male-female, which is obviously, like, the biggest binary. The, the number one <laughs> binary. <laughs> and even thinking beyond homosexual and heterosexual. Because yeah. I think now that that is even a constricting binary for some people, the way they live, some of the way we look at things. So anytime you know, married or single, that's, Mm -hmm. that's a binary that we kind of have to look through and live in a space and make sure that we are, um, coming from a place where it doesn't fall into those two categories. And yeah, it's hard because guess what? Categorizing is comfortable. Yeah. It makes it easier. Certainly if you're, if you're Levi Strauss. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think Halberstam 
I don't know. I'm, I'm a little obsessed. We're fanning out. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about, we should definitely talk about compulsory heterosexuality, especially in light of The Bachelor, because it's like, yeah. yeah. Um, this is, I... Adrian Rich. Yeah, Adrian Rich. I think, I feel like we read this a long time ago, so it if was I'm like wrong. four months ago, yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, like this is Adrian Rich. This and and this theory of like compulsory heterosexuality. This comes from feminist theory, yeah. kind of right. So yeah. again, we're like, what theory goes where? Like this is definitely a very queer theory thing. But I think yeah, Adrian Rich was like a feminist, and she was critiquing um, the way in which um, like men and women are like heterosexuality is embedded within um, not just like social like relations but governmental institutions economy and so all all of these structures serve to subliminate and then reproduce heterosexuality and so it's it's literally impossible to live outside the logics of a heterosexual union um yeah because everything that is set up in kind of how society lives and functions is now you don't have to be in a heterosexual couple, but it's a, you're almost punished if you're not because a marriage union, you know, two-income household, to raise children, to have somebody working and somebody raising kids, and I know that we've we've that has progressed in the way we look at that, but let's be honest, even now, being it's I, I think being heterosexual still has carries those privileges about even functioning in society and we look at people who've chosen to remain single we look at asexual individuals which is also part of of queering sort of desire in that way so it's and then it's also things like um if we look at straight up commodities like the wedding industry mm-hmm. and the is there a dating industry i mean dating apps certainly yeah yeah, and just everything that goes along and sort of the way that women are marketed towards with beauty products and, you know, bettering the self in order to, you know, I know RuPaul says it, but how are you going to love anybody else if you don't love yourself first, which is a which is a message, but that message has been distorted into make yourself better because live your life to the fullest in this heterosexual or coupled up even well and this is kind of like going off of that like rich in like this essay that i just googled so thanks wikipedia (laughs) um she you know she's advocating for for women to reestablish like um like lesbian or like female connectedness and like sexual union and like sociality um but i think that halberstam to like that point would say that even you know certain forms of like like coupledom even if they're quote-unquote queer have been commodified through bourgeois reproductive logics to like fit in within compulsory heterosexuality that um that this is can be all-encompassing so that um because he's critiquing oh sorry they're critiquing um like, the way in which, like, queer culture can be um, capitalized on and commodified to fit in um, to fit in with these bourgeois reproductive logics, like, within, like, cosmopolitan spaces. Yeah. We're going to go into the episode, and I think first I want to mention that the whole 
concept of The Bachelor fits into the compulsive heterosexuality, not just in what they're modeling, but in the fact that this is a representation of what marriage is. And it's not the only representation, and not everybody is just swallowing it, no questions asked, but it is a representation. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I guess, like, we could talk about how we see, like, these logics and, like, working, but I, yeah, I don't know. Later, we can reimagine The Bachelor as queer, yeah. which I'm excited to do. So, what, I don't know, like, what was your first, like, reaction or, like, uh, this episode is really easy to talk about, like, queer theory with because it's so... Well, boot. I think that um, Colton is really struggling, I think, more than other Bachelors. Like, he's really freaking out, and I think he sees these six women and is suddenly like, oh shit, I have to marry one of these women and I've painted myself in this corner and it has to be one of these six women and now it's not about who you're in love with, it's about who's telling the truth. And I think that's, it's really compelling a little bit. I'm like, told you so. <laughs> I'm, I feel bad, but not really. So this idea of that it has to be coupled up, it has to be heterosexual, mate choice, he needs to choose the women. And I think the women that leave um, and Very decide, that that's kind of queering the narrative in yeah. a way that they have decided that they are not going to be picked. I'm glad Heather left because she's like, I kiss someone now. I like it. Like, let me go do that more, which I'm very happy for her. Yeah. Like, she needed to rip off that Band-Aid. And I think she's cute and sweet. So... Go her. Yeah, go with that with your hair and your and your eighties ladies <laughs> clothes and just rock it out. I was interested to see Ben Higgins at the start of the oh, episode. Geez. Um that was like it was such a weird like talk about pressure. Like the conversation is it's just so it's so clear that Colton is like feeling the stress and Ben is just sitting there you know, going through, like, this script of, like, you know, you have to, like, go with your gut. You have to feel like you're going to, like, know that it's right when it's right. But, like, but, but it wasn't, it didn't work out for him. So I, I know, yeah. Like, so I feel bad, but, like, is, why are is you being Is queering the, is his presence queering the narrative? I don't think so. Maybe, I think probably that, not. Although, interesting that he announced his Instagram girlfriend yeah. the same day. But I think, like, I don't, just, like, this pressure show, like, literally represents, like, Halberstam's, um, like, bourgeois reproductive logics of temporality. Like, Colton has to get engaged, and it doesn't matter if he actually, we don't know, does he feel a connection with these women? Is he ready? Does he want to do this? He just has to, because that is what makes sense in the, in the linear progression of events. It is time for him to get married, to reproduce and have children, and to become a, 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 former football? I don't know. It, oh, he's not going back to the NFL. I, I don't understand his, his job, but he'll have some job. Like, there's a, a clear pressure like of, of time, and, and that is um, not even questioned. Or o only occasionally questioned by the women that leave. Are we seeing the breaks in the show? Like, he's like, I am going to get engaged. And I don't think it's I don't think it's required on the show. Do you get paid less if you don't get an engagement at the end? You don't get a Neil Lane ring. Okay, so there's the commodity. There's yeah. another thing about how you have to pick out a ring. Yeah. You have to do this. Um, I think that these women are presented us with really flat personalities. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say they have no personalities, but what we're seeing, I don't see it. They're interchangeable. I think... They're strategic because obviously we've now seen Tasha 
we I, I suspected her her attitude was performative, but now that we've seen her with the other women, it's it's performative and it's strategic. And I think Cassie's very strategic too. And I can't blame them because they're on a game show. Yeah, this is a game show. Well, I was really interested, like in his date with Tasha, like of um, of like being in Denver and like oh my gosh, it's so fun. Like we're meeting Colton's dog. Like we're yeah. going grocery shopping. That like. That as a show, we're, like, this is reenacting, again, these middle-class, like, heterosexual logics. What yeah. do you do when you're a young couple? You have a dog, and you buy salmon. And, like, <laughs> and you drink... Give me the biggest fish you have. Yeah. Um, and, like, and this is... It's interesting, you know, and he says, you know, when, like, they go to his apartment, and they cook the salmon and the Brussels sprouts, like, I could see myself doing this for a long time, so again, there's this... <laughs> really? <laughs> it's like you're I'm living sorry. within these heterosexual logics. It's the, uh, um, Judith, uh, uh, not, uh, Judith Butler. Yes. Our other, um... Judith. Our other Judith. Yeah. You know, speaks of, like, a heterosexual matrix, and I can't see Colton imagining a life outside of the heterosexual matrix, because he's so wedded, and I don't think he even... Does he like Tasha? It's just this living within the confines of these social relations. He likes Tasha because of, um, there's absence. There's absence of her personality and of her emotions and her pleasure. So his... He likes her because she's always so nice and sweet and makes him feel better. So she is an avatar in the in the heterosexual matrix. Hot take. Has anyone... If I'm going to mail that to myself. Don't write a journal article about <laughs> avatars in the heterosexual matrix. Um, if you do, you have to cite this episode. Yes. Um, in Chicago format. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. And then, of course, like, she... I didn't understand, like, where she got the jersey, but she gets a jersey, and he's, like... A producer gave it to yeah. her. Yeah. What do you mean you don't know where she got it? <laughs> but, like, I don't know. He was, like, oh, well, like, I can see her taking my last... Or, like, she looks good with Underwood. Like, maybe it's a sign of things to come. And it's, like, okay, this this ownership and this possession. Maybe this, she doesn't want to take her. Yeah, name. this is, like, compulsory heterosexuality that, like... Why don't you take Tasha's last name? Or just a side note, um, I know that it is empowering for women to keep their name, but it's actually harder to keep when you get married. It's actually harder to keep your maiden name. Interesting. And also, it is more confusing because then when you go when your children don't have the same name or your husband doesn't have the same name, like it causes stress. So it's almost like Com- uh, compulsory heterosexuality. Yeah, yeah. Just take a name, and then yeah. you know you're related. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, Tasha's date, it was, I don't even know, the, the drama, I think, is almost like a separate, I don't yeah. know, that's, but well, see. I blacked out during Kaylin's date. There was oh. a lot of blacking out. Like, what oh, happened? yeah, she went snowboarding, and then she cried, and she was. Why'd she cry? Because, um, I guess Tasha was like, I don't think that Kaylin's here for the right reasons. Oh, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. she cried and called, um. Tasha, the B word, which Bitch. I yeah, I felt that that was um, quite an overreaction. Um, but yeah, they went snowboarding. There's nothing like remarkable to say about this, other than the fact that like we're seeing like the heterosexual matrix. You know, Kaylin's like, I'm ready to get married. I'm ready to get married. I want to have children with you. Like I've imagined this entire life, and it's like, okay, like it she probably sh- has. Yeah, and it shows. Like, I, I think she believes that. It shows the power of these yeah. discourses that 
you get so caught up in this that, you know, I do think that she believes it, but that is like, I don't know, that's the end of her imagination. She can only, she can vividly imagine this life with Colton, even though, um, I don't know, there's like other realities out there. I think it is, I think that Hannah B would rock Colton's world. Oh, is she the... She got sent home. The, yeah, okay, the Alabama one. Uh, when I, when they were leaving, I was like, you know what, Colton? She, You would have fun with her. She's got, like, a sexual energy that I'm really digging. Like, it's not... I oh, liked her yeah. more after this. I did. And I think... I don't now, obviously, whenever you lose your virginity is a choice. I think Colton has really created a... a high pressure situation for himself because he made it very clear it's not that he's waiting for marriage which he's waiting to be in love with somebody which i think he had it just love itself is, is i mean a construct colton send us an email like i want him we can I, talk about this i want hannah b and him to go into a fantasy suite i don't want him to do anything if he's not ready i definitely want consent but i just feel like they have a connection if he's not focused on engagement. I think they would have a really good time together. Would it last? I don't know, but they're both you know what I mean? Like, they just she just, I just liked her all of a sudden. Yeah, well, and this is like we're seeing pleasure and desire being yeah. disciplined and commodified yeah. that this isn't, that this is only possible within the constraints of the fantasy suite or if not marriage, then a specific like heterosexual monogamous union and it's very, I don't know, it's very interesting because The Bachelor, in some ways, it, it seems to present this illusion of, of choice and flexibility and of living outside of these logics. Like, how crazy to date 20 women at once, yeah. but through these dates and through, like, the representation and through the filming, it it's codifying these, like, relations and these logics. I'm just... Yeah. I'm very interested in that. I also like how when, she, when he said, oh, you're going to find somebody great, she said, I know. That was cool. She yeah, like, a good she outfit. like I know yeah. that was cute. Yeah, she, her fashion, that red sweatshirt and those jeans, super cute. I was like that pink dress. I was awesome. nervous that she was wearing a crop top. Like, yeah, don't wear that family, to me. But but are we being judgmental? That's like, right. Are we, are we containing her sexuality? That's true. I'm Hannah. Maybe you know, email us as well. Um, well, I, I don't know. I, that whole section, I did kind of black out, and then we arrived. <laughs> a lot of blacking out during this episode. We arrived on, like, the train mountain, Ugh. which was, I think I was, like, tidied my living room, and then I, like, looked up, and they were on this train, so Yeah, it was so quite this bizarre. is the group date of Doom. Yeah, it was. This was a real bummer. Like, I just, I love how much now the women are expressing their annoyance about being on a group date, because it would be super annoying. Yeah. So there's two roses, four women. He's already given a rose to Tasha and Kaylin. And okay. Who's on the date? Cassie? It's her, the blondes and yeah. Kerpa. Yeah. Oh, Kerpa. 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 Why are you there, Kerpa? I think I miss Kerpa you. I think Kerpa personally is the most attractive. Yeah. She also um Kerpa email us because I was one like was that like a folder you were carrying on the date? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It was she had some notes. Was queer time and space in that folder? Yeah, were you is doing that what you video? were reading? Yeah, um, did you get a PDF? I don't know. Um so they I don't know, what did they do on that date? They, they just were, went to separate places and talked on yeah. benches. And so Heather, you know, 
she leaves quickly and then so good for her yeah and so run then, Heather run <laughs> she'd be great on Bachelor in Paradise I'm just gonna say yeah and then we have Cassie who's uh, I started to dislike Cassie more this episode um Cassie sobbing Kerpa's because you know, Tasha now look, help me out oh, Tasha told Colton that people aren't ready and where was why is Kerpa in on this? I'm glad that I listened to this other podcast because they it. recounted this. So yeah. apparently, um, Katie potentially overheard Cassie and Kaylin talking about being the next Bachelorette or like dating other people after the show. And so Katie, yeah, cool, yeah. So Katie <laughs> I would say that too. said this to Tasha. You know, told Tasha what she heard. I guess Tasha didn't say anything when they were, I don't know, in Vietnam, and then they yeah. came back to the U.S., and so then Colton, you know, after everyone's like, they're here for the wrong reasons, then Colton asked Tasha, and so Tasha told him this, based off what Katie had said to her, but the other thing is, is that um, when he was making his speech at the end of the last episode, he was like, some people aren't ready. Apparently, um, Cassie and Kaylin made a weird face when he said that, and Tasha and the other girls interpreted that as in they um, felt attacked or like they made a weird face as in they are not here for the right reason. So this is very, this is, we're, I don't know. This is more interesting to me. Yeah. this is. I mean, the interpersonal stuff is more interesting. Yeah, but like, but it's it's coded as drama. Ex- and well, significant. yeah, yeah, because the, yeah, like the only legitimate relationship these women can have is with Colton, and like this squall, it's it's drama. It's not legitimate. Their relationships, their intimacies are unimportant because it's yeah with other women. Yeah, the okay, and then Kerpa at her at her like alone time on the date. Yeah, sorry, spent the time doing it, which. Whatever. Like, it's fine if you want to talk about it, but have you seen the show? I know. Like, and also, I wouldn't... Okay. Like, I'm the like I'm the best at dating ever. Like, I mean, I wouldn't spend that time. But then again, if it's bothering you, why suppress it? True. I mean, at this point, they've been there how many weeks without phones or in each other's face all the time? I mean, it's purposeful. <laughs> yeah, and Cassie, like, yelled at Kerpa. She was like, yeah, I'll just call Katie. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was funny. That was I good. was like... She was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll I was pick up the phone and call her. Yeah, um, so that was, that was funny, but... So, yeah, so women are delegitimized in favor of the male partner, and mm-hmm. I think that this is interesting because I appreciate the interpersonal stuff. Like, it's... It, yeah. It actually, except their only personalities now are defined by their quote-unquote drama. Yeah. I think... I was confused by Kerpa and Cassie's argument. Yeah, I think they're just both... They, I don't know. They're, they were emotional, and um, I think Cassie had some points. Like, don't talk... Like, you're yeah. talking about me to him. That's why I'm angry. Yeah. She wasn't trying... She was like, you're asking me why I'm angry, and this is why I'm angry. Yeah. I just... I don't know. I, It's not, like, pleasant to watch. And, like, you know it's very, um, I don't know. Then, okay, these are the things that kind of went off script. Yes. When they were in that really boring living room, dining room, having a fake dinner, he said, Hannah, can I talk to you outside? Mm-hmm. Hannah creeps me out. This Hannah just creeps me she out. She has big like, eyes. Like, what? she's a Furby. That's me. She does. Well, I mean, I love Furbies. I don't think it's... I mean, I would love to be compared to a Furby, but look up um, Hannah Memes. They're... 
She kind of looks like the black and white Furby, so that's just a side she, note. She, I don't know anything about her. She, I don't know what her sense of self is. I am very, very interested in this question of a sense of, um, a sense of self for these women, especially like if we're talking about queer theory and like the self is, is destabilized, it's yeah. under construction, like blah, 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 kind of, um, that there seems like there's no, there's an absence of self, like you referred yeah. to an absence earlier. And I think that's really interesting or like the self is only, um, is only possible through these, like, imaginings. Like, when Caitlin's like, I imagine this vivid life of us, like, together, of having mm-hmm. children and all these things. That, like, there's no sense of self except in conjunction or contrast to these, you know, motherhood, being a wife, like, a family. Like, always in contrast to, like, these other, like, institutions or relationships. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like, I don't, I'm not saying that you have to have it. Like, you can't have a sense of self in a vacuum. Like, I define right. myself... We all define ourselves by external factors, and I think you have to. That's, yeah. that's what your life is like. And not that it's bad to yeah. define yourself in terms of, like, your your motherhood, necessarily, but yeah. that this seems to be, like, I mean, there's forced. multiple. Like, I feel like multiple selves is yeah. not in a fake way, but you, like, life is a performance. You shift in and out of identities and yeah. performing. Oh, okay, so then we heard giggling. My closed captioning said there was giggling. <laughs> there was giggling. And then... Colton comes back in to get the rose and doesn't even look at the other women. It was weird. Went out and gave it to her. We don't know what happened. And then Kaylin comes in in her leisure wear. Bizarre. And just walks up the stairs and talks to him and then also doesn't even acknowledge him. I mean, that was obviously the producers made that weird, but it was just like a weird, it was like a fourth wall break for Mm -hmm. me. And obviously they wanted to see Cassie and Kerpa under pressure. Yeah. I think it was great because Cassie, watching Cassie under pressure was very entertaining. Yeah. I don't want her to suffer, but I was like, this is entertaining. And then she got the rose and her sigh of relief was because she loves Colton. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I was more, I was really interested in the date where they went to public market and like, there were, like, people around them, and... In this episode? Yeah, like, in the public market, it wasn't, like, normally... Was this Tasha? Yeah, Tasha's date. Oh, like, yeah, they yeah. went, um... It wasn't, like, an empty restaurant, or, like, like they were, you know, like, how they an rented a restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> like... Red Rocks. There, there were, like, people there, and so it was, it was kind of weird for me. And I don't know if that crowd was coordinated, but it seemed like it was, like, a- like filmed actively in public market. So it was interesting to, like, it break is... that, too, and, like, this is... Is this constructed? Is it not? Is this actually... Yeah, they rarely date around other people. Yeah. Unless it's a show with, a with like, Tanya Tucker band singing to them. I mean, that's not the name of the band. Yeah. Tanya Tucker's a very respected singer. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, what did you think of him bringing Hannah to meet his parents? I thought that that was bizarro. It has um, happened before in Begged Higgins' season. And Ari's season. Who did he bring to meet his parents? Crystal. Yeah. Like the first, like the first or second week. So it's like the, it's like the woman he wants to humiliate he'll bring to meet his parents to like watch her fail. It was also interesting because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought his parents were divorced, right? He, He's you mentioned know, a step. Well, he, sh- I thought he shared that with the, uh, the Furby Hannah and was yeah. like, oh, you know, my parents were divorced. And then it's interesting that they came together for this episode to like 
present this naturalized portrait of the family unit that even their family, like, that is almost kind of, um, I don't know. That's definitely not, like, queering The Bachelor, but it's interesting that, I don't it's the opposite of queering, like, that you have to represent this heterosexual family unit for consumption of the audience, even though his family cannot live up to these the heterosexual matrix because his parents are divorced. So in that way, it was it was interesting to see. How that. can he believe in love? I don't know. Well, the idea that your parents are your only role model for yeah. love is another. Really or that love comes only within the confines of this marriage with the marriage partnership. Yeah. Um, so I think he did it to humiliate her. No, and it worked. She, but I don't think she. I think she handled it well. I want her to be on Bachelor in Paradise, and I want her to be the star, because I think she'll be great. I am interested to see Demi again. Demi will be... Demi is, like, made for Bachelor in Paradise. Yeah. We'll see. Should... (laughs) (laughs) We're so weak right now. Should we go to our, like, um... Well, what... Oh, yes. Go ahead. I interrupted you. No. I was just wondering, like, should should we... Is it time to move into, like... To ha- like imagining how we can queer the bachelor. Oh yes, that's what I was gonna like. Say. How can we, you know, as a I don't know, how can we queer the bachelor? How can we? Okay, so that? if we're thinking about queer, we have to disrupt the whole kind of fr- not even before you address the issues, you have to disrupt the whole framework. Yeah. So maybe it's men and women in a group, and just see who connects, and if there's emotional intimacy or sexual intimacy and are those the same thing do they overlap just have like a big like go back to like classic real world yeah i know you weren't born yet but (laughs) no well i think like even like there's always like the potential for transgression in the bachelor and like to see i would be interested to see even within like like the foundational logics of like okay you have like for example a male bachelor and female contestants to see um well like what if there's like a multiple partner relationship or what if there's a relationship between like two women and i know that like on like the bachelor vietnam two women did get together and like one woman left the show to like be with another contestant i think like those instances of of like transgression of queering of like disruption like shows how how like fragile these like ecosystems are not or structures i guess what if they had three bachelors on at the same time and, like, they're all... I don't know how quick... I mean, that's still under the... Right, logic. Because to win, you have to couple up. Yeah. Yeah. I think so it I would be, like, thinking about not, um... Not, like, love is the final goal, but, like, community. Like, you were saying, like, multiple people in, like, a group. Like, what does the creation of, like, uh, a community look like? Like, yeah, like, you all have to buy a house together, pick your groups. <laughs> yeah. You could buy, like, your own house, or you could buy multiple family house. You could live with other people. I, I mean, don't know. Survivor, I, mean, I guess, is more of a queer show than that way. I've never watched Survivor. Me neither. Yeah, I think that... Well, the idea of a w- any show where there's a winner... Mm, is not. ...is in kind of that capitalist... It forces to create... Uh, what do you win for? Like, what are you winning? Yeah. So you have to win something, so it's engagement. Yeah. Whereas, maybe Heather should win, because <laughs> she got a first, you know what I mean? She, yeah. She kind of stepped into 
physical intimacy. Yeah. Which, you know, on your own time. Well, and I think it's interesting to think about, like, different, like, levels of relationships. Like, I'm trying, I, like, totally forgot who wrote this. I don't even know. It's, like, a vague memory of something (laughs) I read, like, in a philosophy class of, like, um, different forms of partnership. Like, do you want your sexual partner to be married to you and be able to make medical decisions for you? Or do you want your best friend to do that? Because they have a different understanding of, like, your, your, like, health and your choices of, like, decoupling the couple and marriage from all these other forms of, like, social power um, and, like, sociality that, like, oh, we didn't talk about homosociality. Oh, no. Well, Yeah. I don't know. And I think, like, decoupling... <laughs> I'm weak. Yeah. <laughs> we, can t- we can talk about that with feminist theory as well, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. yeah or let's just talk we're about weak. it. Yeah. Or a friend of a friend was getting married, but she was committed to keeping her best friend as a partner. Yeah. So they were, so in, as far as like a living situation, she's like, I've already committed to living with this person, so you have to come live with us. Yeah. Um, and I think that's dope. Yeah. <laughs> to have like your best friend and your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, no. It's, yeah. It's, well, it's like these alternative imaginings, yeah. and like this is not just outside like compulsory heterosexuality, but it's outside capitalism and like these logics of like ownership, winning, individualism. It's about rethinking like community and relationships and like the social is there anything else that we should add to our survey yeah things you hear in bachelor things you hear in grad school i'm doing such a bad job i'm just like literally you're just querying the podcast and not following the order (laughs) okay then yeah this is a paraphrase just because it's your opinion doesn't mean it's truth Ooh, yeah cassie right yeah and true Every class we're in. <laughs> Not really. True, yeah. true, true. Should I say it? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is from Britta from Seattle. Um, Britta writes, please discuss Colton's old-fashioned slash conservative values in light of queer theory, specifically why Tasha would take his name when she wore the jersey. We kind of got to this. Yeah. Britta, keep up. <laughs> Sorry. No, we love you, Britta. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, Colton. It's part. It's just. It's it's er, surrounded him in his upbringing yeah. and the the capitalism that has surrounded him. Yeah, and like constantly ask or not like, oh, I need to get your father's blessing and to ask for you know, like your hand, but I need to ask your father first. I think it's all just within like these bourgeois reproductive logics to like steal from Halberstam. What is that? Com- where does that come from? Hand in marriage. What is that? What's the origin? Mm, I mean, like, maybe because, like, you put a ring on your hand. <laughs> Could it be that simple? Or is it, like, attached to, like, property we'll rights? Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Um, but next week is... Psych- we always... We never know this. <laughs> I believe it's psychoanalysis. No, actually, it's the women tell all. So I don't know if we're on brief hiatus. Oh, we do a women tell all before the fantasy Yeah, suites? I checked it. Oh, we done <laughs> fucked up. We um, thought it was later. So I don't know if... There's the... Re- I'm thinking of the reunion, because then they mm, come back and they tell all again. Maybe we'll do, like, a, a brief one well, without theory. We'll get, see. We'll see. We'll Guess see. what? You'll figure it out when you see the next title. Yeah. So... <laughs> and when you're listening to this 300 years in the future, <laughs> they, it'll all be good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, if you have... If you want to write us, bachelorcriticaltheory at gmail.com. 
the main website is can I steal you for a sec tumblr.com we'll put um, we will correctly Google <laughs> what yeah. we've talked about and put tell what our sources are. Yeah, and thank you for all of our listeners. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. This for, is fun. Yeah, we hope that you enjoy it as much as we do. Yeah. <laughs>